0: I look forward it sounds bad but i look forward for the bad reviews and not the good ones i mean i i i love the good ones but the bad ones tells me what should i do better you know or what could be done better uh, and how to fix the problems you gotta stay uh you gotta stay humble about it all the time uh, there's always a possibility you fail uh, but for me it's not an option
1: that's guy vagnin there from beyond sushi Uh, And as you can probably tell, he's an extremely driven guy with very high standards and a passion for creating perfect food, which is great for the fourth episode of Plant Gourmet. I'm Rob Lang, and this is a show where we feature the best plant-based chefs. And these are people who are making plant-based food that we think is exceptionally high quality and is really helping redefine how people see vegetarian or vegan cuisine. And if you haven't already, I really encourage you to check out all the episodes, starting with episode one with Scott Weingard. I then had Daphne Chang and Ravi De Rossi, um, whose new place Ladybird, is now open in New York. And then the awesome Elizabeth and Francisco at Elizabeth's Gone Raw. If you enjoy the show, please also leave a review on iTunes, it really helps me out and thank you if you've already done that. Um, I also encourage you to check out the show notes on the website and sign up for the mailing list so you know the minute a new episode drops. It's a hot summer in New York if you hadn't noticed. Um, I work inside the Institute of Culinary Education or ICE at Brickfield Place in Lower Manhattan And to get there, I walk across the World Trade Center memorial site. And there's this point where when it's sunny, um, the sun really hits you straight in the face. And it also reflects back off the number four World Trade Center building, too. And so you're kind of in this magnifying glass, getting hit by the sun from all angles. And let me tell you, it's pretty hot. Um, So in this kind of heat, you don't want to eat something really heavy right now. You want something light. Uh, It's the perfect time of year to grab something fresh like sushi, right? And I don't know if you caught the article that was going around a couple of weeks ago about the amount of parasites and worms in fish, but even if you're not vegetarian or vegan already, that kind of information might have you wanting something a little bit more, I don't know, plant-based perhaps. So Beyond Sushi started in 2012 with a little store on 14th Street. And now they have three locations with a bunch more on the horizon too. And their food is really special because it's 100% plant-based. It's visually beautiful. And it has a lot of unusual colors and textures that are creative, but have a level of care and thoughtfulness that I think goes beyond uh, your normal casual takeout sushi. And it tastes amazing too. Um, I've been there multiple times and I've even brought my parents there. Uh, And my dad is kind of very slowly starting to appreciate plant-based food, and he loved the noodles they now serve, and so I consider that proof that uh, this stuff can really cross boundaries. And while it's a popular lunchtime spot to pick up a quick bite, I think Guy is really showing that fast casual food can be careful and precise and high quality. Guy is actually a graduate of the ICE Culinary School, uh, where I work out of and that's where we recorded this episode. Uh, but Ian actually seen their shiny new facility here in the financial district. So I gave him a little tour and the reason that we don't have ads on this podcast is firstly, I think everybody knows about Squarespace and Casper by now. Um, but also because I have a little indoor farm inside ice called farm one, and that's what supports this podcast. And Guy came along to visit the farm and taste a few things, and one of the cool things we're growing, and I gave Guy a taste of this, is a wasabi arugula, which is like the arugula or wild rocket that you probably know, except it has this kick which tastes like pure wasabi. It's pretty cool. I don't know if I convinced him, uh, but who knows, maybe you'll see that in some sushi uh, one day. And if you're in New York on August 14th, there's a Sunday afternoon event at a beautiful venue called The Foundry in Long Island City. It's called Secret Summer, and you'll be able to try all kinds of the unusual tastes like that from Farm One. Uh, They're making custom cocktails with our produce, Uh, things like Purple Ruffles Basil, uh, Red Shiso, and Papalo, which is this amazing Central Mexican Herb, you can check that out at secretsummernyc.com. Anyway, um, what's cool about this episode is, is Guy's attention to detail and high standards are really impossible to ignore. It's a real insight into the hard work and the persistence that you really need to create a successful restaurant in a busy city like New York. His passion and the belief in what he's doing is really inspiring. Uh, so i hope you enjoy the episode and and start to feel pretty motivated afterwards so let's get started like you, if you don't mind me starting by asking like, you had a bit of a crisis last week
0: uh that's why you couldn't turn up oh, i yeah. think
1: your chef didn't turn up or something yeah, like that yeah what so, was the deal
0: so uh last week one of my chefs uh, called out he was sick and of course like uh like always i mean the person that needs to cover for everybody is a guy and this is how it is when you own a business less than when you're a chef but when you own a business and you're a chef eh, you need to cover all ends so if the general manager doesn't can't can come or the manager one of the stores can't come or the chef can't come or the sous chef can't come eh, there's got to be a backup plan but uh, in my business unfortunately uh the person that knows Everything about the business is me, so uh, I had to jump in and uh, help in the kitchen, and I was cutting uh, vegetables and, uh, until 10 p.m., yeah. making dumplings and whatever not. Uh, but it's part of the game, and when you sign up to be a business owner and a chef, you should know that, uh, that you'll have to do that at some point.
1: Yeah, and so you, you signed up to be that business owner for Beyond Sushi, I think in yeah.
0: 2012, is that right? Yeah, July 2012 is when we opened the doors. I uh, came up with the idea about two years before that. I tried it out for the first time at the New York Vegetarian Food Festival and saw the reaction and whatever happened. And then uh, after developing the menu and creating uh, you know new types of cooking the rice and everything else, uh, rolled out the first location and opened the doors in July, 2012. And so
1: for somebody who doesn't know Beyond Sushi, can you give us a little intro to what it's all about?
0: Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm asked that question many times and uh, it's, it's hard to uh, uh, put a, a finger on it because uh, Beyond Sushi is basically everything. Uh, and what do I mean? Everything is everything I learned over the years. Everything I uh, I touched, the places I came from, uh, my family influence, everything. I know it says sushi, but I see sushi as a vessel more than sushi. It's a vessel to carry uh, a perfect amount or perfect bite every time uh, that you bite into something. It's fun and it's presented great. And you can actually infuse anything you want into it, at least in my, in my setting or in my mind, you can infuse anything into it and if you uh if the recipe is correct there's never going to be more sauce or less sauce or a different bite than the other bite it's going to be an exact bite and for a chef uh, in my eyes or it always been like that consistency and being perfect on what you do is something that i try to achieve as a goal for myself uh, forever and it's hard and most chefs will tell you i mean you have a plate you have sauce everywhere you have one bite of this one bite of that yeah it complements everything but it's never gonna be exactly the same in sushi every bite is the same you're taking one bite of the same ingredients same amount of sauce I know it sounds boring when I talk about it but we don't even realize it but we come back for that if we get the same consistency every time we'll come back for it we want it again if it's good of course Um, and Hence, 40% of my customers are returning customers, and that's the base base of my business. If not, I would have been out of business by now. And so now I think you have three locations. Yes, is that right? we're putting the gas on, and there's going to be two more this year. And we're expecting another, hopefully, in 2017, 2017 we want to do three more, and in 2018, we want to do another three. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're, we have big plan for the company. I think there is a lot of room for it in the city. and uh, it's just creating a company. And before it was three locations and guy carries everything on his back. Chef, what is this? Chef, what can I do here? Chef, what that, blah, 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 blah. I can't do it anymore. So now we're creating a company where we took a break, we're creating a There is roles, everybody's doing their own part. Uh, and then we can roll those and keep the same standards that I have that I would like to keep in our company, which is uh, the great food, you know? Awesome. and. Maybe you can just take us
1: back a little bit. So, yeah. you know, you said you had this idea even two years before you opened. Yeah. But um, where did all this stuff come from? So you've got that idea of the perfect bite. You say it comes yeah. from all the influences of your background. Yeah. Like, wh- what's your journey in food? And how did you, you know, end up the person you are today in food?
0: Ooh, it's very long, but uh, I'll try to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so since I was, a c- I think I have... Uh, I have a problem, it's not, it's not, it's a problem, it's a personal problem, I'm addicted to food. I was a, I was a nice chubby kid and I loved food from the get-go. I was always in the kitchen with my mom, with my grandma. I come from a Moroccan family and I moved to Israel, and uh, from Israel to here. Uh, and we're known for making big meals, every day, all the time. Uh, so a uh, Friday dinner, which is for for the religion, you have eight or nine salads on the table and after that there is four or five proteins that come in and uh, i don't know like 10 sides and every friday is like that and then the next day they, whatever they you eat the leftover but every friday is like that and every friday was a tradition to cook the whole family cooks and uh, my parents separated when i was a little boy and uh, i decided to stay in the kitchen for some reason not run outside i really loved it i really loved the food i would go and pick on whatever my mom would cook or my whatever my grandma would cook and a lot of times my mom needed to work uh, to provide so she left us with grandma and grandpa and uh, i would spend time at grandma's and uh, stay in the kitchen she showed me how to make couscous from scratch how to make uh, all the all the salads that we serve at dinner just uh, braised tomatoes that take hours and hours and hours and peeling all the tomatoes and making mayonnaise from scratch and all this other stuff. It, it had nothing to do with plant-based, uh, but it, it created that passion for me. And then, um, because my parents were separated a lot of times, my mom had to work a lot, so I was cooking at eight, at eight years old, which is not very common for back then, but today you see, you see them on, chop junior and right. all this stuff and making right. all these uh, sauces I'd, mother sauces I'd and say all. it's still pretty
1: yeah. uncommon for yeah. an eight-year-old to be in the kitchen yeah so yeah. at
0: eight years old i was making spaghetti i was yeah. making i was making my sister my older sister you know dinners and lunches because she she was at home and my mom was at work and uh, that's when it started and i and, and i just i loved it i was addicted to it uh from the get-go and then uh I enlisted to the army in Israel, I I had to, it's mandatory, and I went and I was in infantry for three years, I was a fighter, but we were stationed somewhere in Gaza and we had to cook for ourselves, and someone we had to volunteer uh, to cook, but it it came with a lot of chores, like cleaning and cleaning the dishes and everything else, and I was always uh, picked on to go and cook for everybody, because they knew that they are going to have great food. And that's what I did. So every every week, at least two days of the week, I would cook for 30 soldiers. You know, even though I was you know, I was a fighter, I was a commander, but they always send me to the kitchen because they knew they're gonna eat well if I go in the kitchen. And that that was the first time where I cooked big. I cooked for a lot of people, and I got to experiment. Yeah, whatever ingredients we got, and it was shitty ingredients, but. <laughs> we put together nice, nice meals and spam and all this stuff that we had to, <laughs> to grill. And uh, it was nasty, but it, it came out good. Uh, and that was the, the second stage. And from there on, I went into my, uh, you know, my real life. Uh, two weeks after I got released from the army, I moved to the States. I, uh, I started here. My dad owns, re- owned restaurants since I was a very, uh, young uh, kid and i used to come every summer and work in the restaurants but not necessarily in the kitchen part i would help him and whatever not and when i came back i started working with him it was annoying and hard and i didn't want to do it so i left but i still had that passion it was uh, it was something that i had i went into uh, computer engineering and uh, here in the city after three months i decided that it's not for me i can't sit in the classroom i have too much energy uh, you know I, I was twitching everywhere i said okay this is not for me i need to do something physical and i mentioned to my dad that i have a dream you know to cook and he said okay let me sign you up for school and i said okay you know and he signed me up for ice where we're we sitting right now and i was in uh, april 2007 and uh i did this seven month course so i worked all day in his catering company, cause all the restaurants condensed into a catering company and I worked all, uh, all day. And then at five o'clock till 10 o'clock, I was at ICE. So I had a day from seven o'clock to 10 o'clock. Uh, but that's the only way I could do it and still support myself. And I did that for seven months. And then after that, and I, I mean, I can elaborate about ICE. ICE was a great, uh, great uh, uh, stepping stone. Uh, they showed me everything that there was, to know, and that was great, Uh, but I have a very, uh, very uh, different view about schools in general and about cooking uh, uh, than the normal. You can go in the normal route and go to school and go work under the chef and go work here and work, but I see it a little bit differently. Uh, I got the opportunity, as soon as I got out, my dad just said, okay, my chef is fired, you are the chef from now on, you're the executive chef, (laughs) take the kitchen, okay, good luck. Uh, wow okay yeah <laughs> i was 23 all right and <laughs> we were doing about i don't know uh, don't need to get into numbers but i we were doing about 500 people every day events and whatever not. And, uh, and i said okay that's uh, quite unusual for yes. someone to come straight out yes. of culinary school yes i dinner. said okay you're the executive chef Good yeah, yeah. Uh, and i had about 12 cooks working for me uh, it wasn't such a big big thing but uh, I took it and uh, and I said okay and I learned every day and I think that um that cooking and everything that you do uh, if you don't jump into it and you push yourself to learn every day more and more and more you're never going to get better at it and it allowed me to uh, look at cooking differently because I didn't have a chef that says this is how it's done this is how you should do it you stick by this and this is why I mean, eventually, Beyond Sushi, is, as crazy as it is, it came out of me, you know. I, th- there was nobody that said, okay, this is the influence, that's how you should do it. Uh, or this is how cooking is done. Um, and every day I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I pushed it, and I learned. And I learned, and I learned, and I sat down, and I finished cooking, and I went home, and I read books, and I came back, and I and I worked on my uh, my running, the kitchen skills. I got a lot of that from the army I was commending, but I... Uh, i i learned every day something new about it and a year into it uh, i was doing okay you know it wasn't it wasn't that bad Uh, another bomb was dropped on me (laughs) my dad decided that i'm good enough and he left me with the company for a whole year and he went to israel and said okay now you run the company be the chef and everything else and I said okay okay just give me a little raise Uh and it's okay (laughs) and it wasn't a lot but uh, but I took it and I he lost a lot of money uh, because of that because I didn't know how to run a business but I did learn and by the end of it uh, things were okay I mean we we did lose a bunch of money but uh, at the end of it it was okay after that after I had that experience and after I learned the kitchen after I had to run it for such a long time a, things changed, they turned around, I already understood how it works, I learned every day, I kept learning even though it, it, they changed around, and I took the company and uh, and really spearheaded it to in a new direction, a, really thinking about our establishment and how big it is and all that stuff, and uh, I took it from doing uh, uh, 1.8 to about six in three years, and that's the years in 2009, 10, and 11 which was uh, like the hardest years after the sure, depression sure. Or, or whatever the yeah. recession a uh, so it was great i mean at the end of it it all worked and uh and gave me a lot of tools to where i was going in those years i also uh created uh more fun and exciting menus in that world because i was a executive chef at a kosher catering company and one of them was a sushi station uh, and i custom made a sushi station and we uh we went out with that sushi station and uh, we saw a lot of demand for vegetarian uh, 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 rolls. Uh, and there is a lot of restrictions in the kosher world where you eat meat, you cannot eat fish right away and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we created uh, you know, the black rice rolls uh, with whatever vegetables that we had and some sauces on top. And we saw the reaction and I was like, okay, eh, maybe there's something there. And then I took it to the vegetarian food festival, like I said. And and then I took it the second year, and then both years I ran out of food. I was like, you know, it was crazy. It was a madhouse. And I said, okay, there's something here. And I wanted to get out of the k- kosher world. Uh, I was very ignorant and didn't know anything about plant based or veg- veganism or being vegetarian or anything like that. I just wanted, I just knew that I wanted to create a healthy concept uh, that. That was that, the beyond sushi. It was a healthy concept, and not not a vegan concept. I you know, I was very ignorant about it. And when I first opened, it wasn't vegan. It was vegetarian uh, for two weeks. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so and, and we'll we'll get to why and what, but uh, I I went and I took a bet and I took all the money I saved over ten years and took a loan for as much as I saved on top of that and put everything I had into it. And was left with like a thousand dollars when I opened the doors. Uh huh. That's not a lot of yeah. That's uh, not a lot of money to run. And, yeah. I, and I will I explain how it happened, and and, and went with it. And um, and thank God all, all the stuff happened afterwards. But it came with a lot of a lot of price and a lot of uh, a lot of white hair and a, a lot of uh, you know sweat and tears and whatever. Now not sleeping. And it takes a lot to be a business owner and a chef. Uh, we decided to switch to vegan because after I opened, I actually learned what am I, what I'm, what I'm doing. Uh, it changed my whole lifestyle. I became vegan myself. Uh, the restaurant became vegan. Uh, it it yeah, started. So it talk st-
1: talk through that a little yeah. bit. That's a very unusual way of doing yeah. it because most people
0: who start a yeah. plant-based restaurant, yeah, you know, yeah, they, right away, right. So. Yeah, it's not I, I, I I'm a big believer in evolution, okay? And we evolve. And if you don't evolve in this business or any other business or life or whatever not, you're done. You're ne- you're never gonna succeed. You have to listen to what goes around you. And okay? it doesn't matter. I listen to my dishwasher. When he says, Okay, this is a little bit salty, or this is this could taste better with this, or I watch a stupid show and I see something, I pick it up, or I taste something at a at a deli somewhere and I pick it up and it's, you gotta, you gotta have that open mind and you're not always right. And there is a lot of things as a, as a business owner, you have to make decisions and they gotta be firm decisions. And you gotta say, okay, this is how it's done eh, for the good and the bad, but you have to listen to everybody around you and assess whatever you want and decide afterwards. Eh, so one week into it, I had a vegan girl and I remember her face. I remember her. I remember everything that she came in and we had egg based uh, sauces and we used to tell people okay this is egg based we didn't have a lot of customers so it was uh, it was very simple but one of my one of my my only manager or only counter person that i had uh, besides the sushi chef and me uh, didn't tell her that that had egg base and she didn't say she was vegan and she had she had the the egg-based sauce and I was up there because every time a customer came in, I ran from the kitchen to see them. And, uh, and she ate it, and she started crying. And she said, I haven't had animal products in 15 years. And I was, I was so moved by it, and I, was so, I felt so bad that, that I said, oh, well, I have to do something about this because this is not, I, I, I felt really terrible. And a week later, I, there was one guy uh, that wouldn't let me go. He sent me emails every day. Why can't you make it vegan? Why can't you make it vegan? Make it all vegan. Make it all vegan. And and I didn't understand. And I really took I took my time. I wasn't vegan then or or vegetarian, but I took my time. I said, okay, let me let me see what, what this is about. Okay? And I sat down and I learned and I learned and I saw saw tons of movies and I read uh, like everything else that I that I, that I did throughout my career. I, I wanted to learn about it and um and I decided, okay, if I can make the recipe work. I'll make it work. It was very hard because I needed to create a substitute to. Uh, I used to make my own uh, mayo that right, used to be right. part of the sauces, and um, and I didn't want to buy anything outside. I wanted to make my own, like I still do, uh, and uh, and I figured it out at the end of it after after trying and trying and trying trying, and it came out uh, if not just as good, even better.
1: But w- and when you made that decision, did you feel like you were doing it because? Of like an ethical reason eventually, or a nutritional one, or or simply to serve customers better, or like how
0: how did you? It was it was it had not it had it had uh, unfortunately. I mean today I can uh, I can say okay there was a lot of ethical reasons to it and uh, nutritional reasons to it, but back then, for me, uh, I didn't know exactly what I was doing and where I'm getting into. I told you I was very ignorant about it. It was a purely decision of making the business evolve to the right place so making right. it, make it making a making a situation uh, that happened never happened again
1: yeah and, and, and kind of finding your customer because
0: I, I only had three sauces in the right. whole menu that were egg based and that was the whole thing right so why not just move move completely afterwards I learned and understood that you know what decision I made and how big it is for for me uh, for, for everybody for the world uh, it was uh it was a big deal afterwards, but if I can look back and say that was the best decision I ever made, you know, a business-wise, right. a nutritional-wise, uh, a ethical, everything, a, and that that just switched everything, you know, and uh, it became um, completely plant-based. Even though there is a lot of restaurants that still do both and both.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and how did you how did you feel about that as a chef? Because I think that you know, times are changing and and everyone's an individual, but I guess the traditional, the traditional outlook of some chefs who go through a culinary school is like, oh, vegans are a pain in the ass, you know, when they come to the restaurant, I've got to make something different for them. And like, you know, and so what, do you remember what you've felt like and how that mindset changed for you?
0: So when I was in the, when I was in the kosher world, right, it's very challenging. Because you cannot mix milk and meat, and you cannot use this meat or that meat, or you cannot use that vegetable even, and it's got to be cleaned a, a thousand times. What
1: vegetable? I don't even know. What vegetable can't you use?
0: Uh, asparagus, green asparagus, because there might be bugs hidden inside the little leaves on top, and you can't eat bugs. So, kosher food is very clean, okay, in general. Everything is washed, there is no bugs, it's washed a thousand times, and sometimes it just ruins the food itself. And that was my hardest thing, you know. Uh, they There wasn't good ways of... And you cannot wash it yourself. Somebody else has to wash it. And they don't care really about food. They're there just to wash. Uh, and I... For me, if, if you heard of something in my kitchen or the food, it's like... It drives me nuts. And, and I couldn't do it anymore. But when it comes back to, uh, to the veganism, uh, I... I truly feel like uh, it's not a it's not a pain in the ass. It's a challenge, okay. And if I decided that I mean today it's part of who I am. Uh, that challenge uh, just keeps me motivated to to keep going. I have a little bit different view than normal vegan uh, chefs out there. Uh, I don't believe in imitations. I don't believe in uh, creating something that tastes like something you'll never see. Uh, imitation of a fish or a burger or anything like that in my restaurants. I think that if you're vegan, you're vegan, okay? Uh, that's, that's you're, you're not trying to eat meat. You're trying to, to eat, you know, plant-based. And there's enough variety and enough ways to make anything you make in the kitchen taste great without imitating something else, okay? You can make a sandwich, but you don't need to take a, a, something that will taste like meat just so so you can fulfill that void. Why are we trying? What are we doing? Over yeah, here, you know? yeah.
1: No, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, a few of the people that I've talked to feel exactly the same way. Like being, making plant-based food is an opportunity to explore, you know, a
0: huge palette of stuff out there. I think it's a and, cuisine. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can, you, you have a, a regional cuisine. So, you know, vegan or plant-based, you know, you can call it a cuisine, but I'm not going to try to make burgers. Okay, I'm not sure. gonna try to make I know that it's a lot more successful I, I'm making it's a lot more successful for people because they the people that are letting go yeah of 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 uh, meat and uh, trying, to, animal, transition, trying to transition and they yeah. say okay that will help me transition I don't think it's right if you're creative enough and if you make things the right way they'll taste good they'll taste good you you just put your mind into it and try out things they'll taste great I mean and that's I, what
1: it is yeah and I I I really want to get into that menu, but first I, I kind of want to um, just discover what has been your personal journey since that point. So you, you, after a couple of weeks, you decided to change Beyond Sushi to be totally vegan. Like how did then that affect your personal uh, diet and habits and how long did that take for you to sort of go completely plant-based?
0: Sure, um, so it took me a few months, probably like four months at first, I became vegetarian. I really, really, really loved cheese. you know, it was a hard time for me to that that was like the hardest time dairy. Uh, but I felt like first of all, I'm lying to myself if I'm not going to because I'm running a vegan restaurant I need to I need to not only represent the brand, but I need to to get inspired. It's very easy to throw butter and some cream on stuff and it will taste great, you know, but to get inspired to really feel you know that the, the flavors and in trying to get them out of stuff that doesn't have animal products in it I needed to uh take that step and then with that I, I mean it felt so good on my body so I said okay <laughs> I mean I took that step for one reason now it's making another reason great uh, and uh it was a simple journey. I, I'm, I'm very strict. Uh, I can be very strict on what I do and what I, you know, everything in my in my world is like this, like this. It's everything is organized. At one point, I was a drill sergeant in the army, so everything, everything is there. You know, it's a, it's in its place and it's perfect. And, yeah, uh, and that's what it is. Uh, same same way I run my kitchen. It's
1: funny how um, the Japanese, you know, the tradition of sushi has some of that discipline yeah. that you probably had in the army, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I don't know how many people have watched the um, the documentary like Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I'm guessing you've probably yeah. seen that one, yeah. you know, and these guys spending, I don't know how many years his son has yeah. spent as an apprentice, like yeah. 30 years or something, yeah. and he's still not allowed to, you know, <laughs> do, do certain
0: things in the I, kitchen. I think that's, that's a, that's ex- that's, a that's little extensive, extreme. Extensor, yeah. extreme. I, I'm yeah. very... Uh, very practical yeah okay if it makes sense you do it if it doesn't make sense you don't do it if you uh if you uh if it's done i i i always uh, made sure that we evolve in our in our concept unfortunately um not unfortunately fortunately uh, we've been very busy and uh, we've been very lucky but to uh to keep this business going and being as fresh as it is and I need to move a lot of volume. Right? And I knew that from the get-go. I priced out the menu at a lower price point, yeah. knowing that I need to move a lot of volume. If I don't move a lot of volume, we're using a lot of raw vegetables. Uh, it's just going to go bad. Yeah. doesn't make any sense. Uh, and to keep everything fresh, you just got to move it.
1: Because uh, it sounds slightly like you kind of accidentally came across this sushi thing. Yeah. you know, And then... Basically. Um, but obviously you found enough variety in there and enough space for creativity that it's not i don't think it's limiting for you guys and now you've gone beyond it with the noodles and the dumplings etc but um you know obviously sushi in japan has this you know rich cultural heritage you know people um you know people are very very particular about like training to become a sushi chef all that kind of thing and um, you know, I don't think you're Japanese um, no. and like, I don't think you trained for like 10 years <laughs> no. under a sushi shop. And so, but I think your, your food is, I mean, I've eaten it dozens of times and I think Thank it's, you. I think it's fantastic. So you. Um, how did, how do you approach that coming at this thing where there's this huge cultural tradition on one hand and you're kind of yeah. coming in, but from two angles, one of them yeah. is you're not Japanese and the other one is it's completely plant-based. Yeah. Like how do you deal with that? And how do you deal with people who talk about it with you and, I, I've heard you say before, like some people tell you, oh, it's not sushi. Oh, and yeah. then,
0: so how do you deal with all that? So, I mean, the first day we opened, in our opening party, I had a Japanese uh, newscaster come in there and say, oh, but what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and filming the whole thing. And since then, we had uh, uh, over 10 people from Japan come and interview and uh, write uh, articles about it and how, you know, how new age sushi and whatever. It, we actually had the Board of Education from Japan Come to our store and <laughs> film with me, <laughs> uh, and they show it to uh, uh, middle school uh, kids in Japan. How how their food evolved uh, in the U.S. Um, how do I deal with it? First of all, the word sushi means vinegar rice. It's not. It's, it has nothing to do with fish. Even though people say, "Oh, it's not sushi," uh, it has nothing to do with fish. Uh, second of all, I think that we're we're in such a modern age with food that i could have done a lot of things but i wanted to do something that is unique that nobody else is doing out there that no because that's that's why i am you know i i want to do my thing and i didn't want to go and uh, copy something or i wanted to create my own my own thing yeah it's not it's not easy and uh, there was a lot of obstacles and the main main uh a thing that i try to do is to get the food uh, to people and have them try it and once they try it it's a different story uh, if you go on yelp or any other review site you'll see most people that review uh, they're not they're not vegan or vegetarian 80 percent of my customers are not we had a survey and we check they're, they're not they're just trying to eat clean they're trying to eat uh they're trying to eat uh, at least a few times of the week uh, uh without uh, animal products they understand, uh, and I and I appreciate that. I mean, you'll be surprised. Uh, I have men in big guys in suits, you know, in uh, in our midtown location. They come in. And yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. they. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's something for me. It's gratifying in the yeah. in the highest levels. You know.
1: Yeah. So what's what's maybe an iconic dish or piece of sushi that oh, yeah. that, that beyond sushi is
0: is kind of known for? And what so there's two things that will never go off the menu and uh, probably uh, my first role was the spicy mang and um and uh rice paper wrap uh, the nutty buddy uh, they are the best sellers they're still the best sellers and probably will always be
1: so just break down those What yeah. what's involved in in the ingredients and making them and how did you choose those For ingredients sure. and where For do you sure. get them from
0: uh, so the spicy mang was um Really, like like the whole concept. I just fell into it and, and it happened. Um, it's made out of uh, mango that is semi ripe. It's not ripe all the way, so it's not too sweet. Uh, and then English cucumber. I use only English cucumber in our, in our sushi because uh, it has a lot more meat and the seeds we cannot use inside. Uh, and uh, avocado inside and the black rice on the outside. And it's topped off with a mixture of cabbage, carrots, and peppers bell peppers uh, that i semi-pickled and then we it's a method i developed uh, and then we squeeze out i semi-pickle them i squeeze out all the juices out of them afterwards and then i introduce whatever flavor i want i actually have a a, a wine squeeze like a grape squeeze uh-huh. in my kitchen and we squeeze all the all the juices out and then we introduce whatever and th- in this case we introduce a cayenne f- flavor into it and, and that goes on top of the roll uh, the rice is made differently than traditional rice uh, it is uh, it is uh, uh, flavored with vinegar at the end of it uh, for a few reasons uh, but we soak the rice overnight and then we cook it a little bit longer than normal rice because uh, it's the black rice it doesn't it doesn't stick yeah, uh, as well as the uh, as the sushi rice. I've noticed you're using a couple of different kinds of rice. In yeah, your so we menu. have two kinds. Yeah, one is the black rice, and the other one is a six grain rice. It uh-huh. has uh, a two kinds of barley: whole barley and pearl barley. A rye berries, brown rice, red rice, and black rice. It's a mixture we make, uh, and it's cooked about the same way as the as the black rice. The reasoning for that is uh, I wanted to create something uh, rice rice texture is, is rice texture. I wanted something that will be that will feel a little bit different. It will be crunchier, or because the barley does not cook as much as the as the rice, right. but it's still in there. It's cooked, but it's a little crunchier, and uh, or it gives you that little a little uh, bite. And when I pair it up, I pair it up with the softer ingredients, because yeah. uh, uh, it starts with with the vision or, or whatever the way it looks, and then uh, texture and flavor of course which is the 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 last thing that uh, it's got to be there but the texture for me is very very important it's got to be something crunchy in it you can't just it's all balance okay no i think
1: i mean i think that's one of the things that i've seen um people start to do with plant-based cuisine at the higher level is really consider texture in a way that people weren't doing before or Mm. you know and it's something that it sounds really obvious, but having a dish that actually has some variation in texture and some yeah. crunch maybe and, you know, those kind of things can...
0: The balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. balance. I, I mean, I, I I believe in balance. And people uh, people sometimes are afraid. Like, I believe there's got to be a balance of acidity. There's got to be fat in there. Even though fat, for some people, it's like a curse word, it's not. I mean, it, it, it's okay. Just... In moderation, in, in the right amount. So yeah, plant-based
1: fats are yeah. completely different than a big yes. piece of pork. Fat Unfortunately,
0: uh, most of plant-based food uh, or the the big, you know, the big uh, uh, the big imitations or the big there are a lot of fried food, a lot of dough, a lot of. Uh, I try to stay away from that. You know, I I I think that we can do a lot better than that. You know, it's not not just fried food because I need to make up for the flavor. I'll fry everything. You know.
1: And let's just talk for a second about how you get your ingredients, and and obviously you're running the kind of restaurant where I mean you change your menu, I guess, seasonally, but you have some items that you need on there the whole year round. Yeah. Is that so right?
0: so the menu set the whole year. Uh, for three and a half years, I had uh, a roll, a wrap, and a salad that changed every month. Uh, now I have it a seasonal, so every three every three months we change it a and a dumpling now yeah. we have a a, a a dumpling that changes and
1: so how do you make sure that throughout the year yeah. in the middle of new york you're yeah. getting the same quality
0: stuff all the time of, like unfortunately uh i can't get everything locally first of all it, it's for a few reasons one uh so people walk in the door you have to keep it at a price point that makes sense uh and how did that you come be. up with that price point? By the way, like when I started, when I started, uh, I took into calculation. I mean, my food costs and everything, yeah. and then I took uh, into calculation my uh, my my labor costs because my labor cost is uh, is a lot higher than normal restaurants. I have professionals working and behind the counter making sushi. Uh, I have a very high standard of how I want the sushi to look, and that what bring people back into the store. I have a very high standard of how I want it to taste, so I have to have professionals actually right. make the ingredients.
1: Like the difference between putting together a burrito, yeah, and putting together <laughs> one of your sushi
0: rolls is quite—it's you know, a, it's a big, quite difference. dramatic, right? Uh, yeah. And where you pay a person uh, ten dollars an hour or mm. twenty-five dollars an hour, right? That's the that's difference. Uh, so, but I wanted to keep it at a lower price point, uh, and because first of all, because of the freshness and bringing a lot, a lot of people in, and I had a vision that the more people will try it. The more it will, the more, the broader, the the following we're going to have. Because I, I believed that my food tastes good. I, I be, Not blowing smoke on my ass. No, I no. Think, but a, I believed in myself. You have to myself. believe that, right? If I you, believed yeah. in myself. I believed that once they taste it, they'll come back. Yeah. A, and, and it worked. I mean, more people came in. More people said, okay, it's affordable. I can, I can try it out. Hey, I'll try one. And once they tried one, they came back again. And not only that, they wrote something on Yelp and they took a picture and they put it on Instagram and everything else and that created a following. And that was a very important move, I think. Uh, and I try to keep it the same way now. Uh, unfortunately, about the vegetables and yeah, going back so to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the stuff I can source locally. Some of the stuff is grown on, uh, on Long Island like we were talking before. Uh, I get my micros from over there. Uh, For my specials, uh, the way I did it every month is... Uh, I would go to Union Square Market, find the ingredients of that season that I would, like to, uh, I would like to use. My kitchen is very close. It's on 14th Street, between 2nd and 3rd. So I spend a lot of time in that market, uh, or at least as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, and I find the ingredients over there. And then I just buy it. I have a deal with the, with the farmers and I just buy it in bulk when they come in and I pick it up and I use it for that month for that special. All the other ingredients come from the general market. Uh, so I can keep the price point where it is. Yes, uh, I have mango all year. I can't get mango here, you know, even even any time of the year, yeah. you can't get it over <laughs> here. So it comes from somewhere, but it's better to eat a, a blueberry that came from Puerto Rico than a, than a pork butt, okay? Right, right, right.
1: You know, as someone who, you know, started this plant-based restaurant and kind of, it feels like you kind of got into it not quite knowing what it was going to be, but now, you know, pretty experienced about it. Is there something? Is there some is something that you've learned as someone running plant-based restaurants that you think is unique to that? That was surprising to you, or um, any problems that are related strictly to it being plant- plant-based that that you wouldn't experience? So, what what kind of things have, have those been?
0: Running restaurants in general is is, uh, is probably. The same problems and a lot of problems, never-ending problems. Yeah. Uh, but running a plant-based restaurant brings on a few other things. I mean, your customer base is very aware of what they eat, and they want to know all the time what they eat, where it comes from. Uh, you got to be very transparent about everything you do. And, uh, and they have a lot of questions, and they want to know. And there's a lot of allergies involved. Uh, you're offering gluten-free, you're offering nut-free, you're offering, and there was problems and uh, it could cause people to go to, you know, cardiac arrest or go to the hospital or whatever, you know? And I, I, uh, I've encountered a bunch of them in the past. And uh,
1: uh, how do you deal with that? Like strategy wise with the allergies, for instance, or gluten and that kind of thing?
0: So we, we say very, I mean, we're very transparent about what we do and you have to do that, uh, Especially in this uh, in this sector of the industry, uh, but we uh, we say it broad and clear. Okay, we are uh, we are not a gluten-free restaurant, and we're not a gluten-free kitchen. We offer gluten-free options. Uh, if somebody's celiac, I recommend that they don't eat in my restaurant. I if somebody has a nut allergy, my counter or my managers not to say we recommend that you don't eat here it's in our it's in the it's in the system i'd rather lose money than than, uh then have somebody get sick and it happened before i had somebody call me from the hospital a, it was a weird allergy but they had my coconut curry and i have chickpeas inside they're allergic to chickpeas i have chickpeas i i prate them inside to get the creaminess whatever and um they were allergic to chickpeas yeah but i don't specify but it's a very weird allergy you know so uh Okay, yep. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not fun. It's not a fun situation. Yeah, you know, it would sure. be on the other end of the phone. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, and is there anything you feel like you need to do differently in terms of you know when you look at marketing um with a plant-based restaurant? Yes. Obviously, you know the identity of the restaurant and the customer base and yeah. all that. You know, it's it's very specific, right? Yep. And like, how do you? What do you think? Some of the strategies you've used that have worked really well, uh, for that.
0: First like, of all, a. Uh, in any and and I'm not saying just for plant-based, but even in in any restaurant, it's got to be very visual in the terms of marketing in these days. Uh, if there is one sector in my restaurant that I let somebody else do, is that uh, I have a I have a girl very talented that works for me that has been working for almost three years now and uh, she's amazing at what she does she that's what she did and uh, she went to learn social media which is something that is not common but that's what she did and uh, she's great at it and she it's all about uh today it's just int- <coughs> internet based so uh instagram has been very big for us and uh and the reviews are in the yelp uh, everything is online i have never invested a dollar into advertising since i opened i believe it's wrong i believe that we're it's we're so it's so connected today that in a week you know everybody knows about you or they know good things or they know bad things so in one hand it's very it's very easy to get known on the other hand you better not make mistakes in the city you know yeah yeah absolutely
1: and i think you know your food um like a lot of the sort of mm-hmm. successful plant-based food I've mm-hmm. seen recently, it inherently is very visual. And the way that, you know, you choose maybe the black rice with a contrasting mm-hmm. color and then the way you cut and like that kind of thing is inherently shareable, right? Yeah. And so you've created a product that is, I, it wasn't designed for Instagram, but it was almost as if it yeah. was, right? I, I didn't know what Instagram was. Right, <laughs> sorry. right, right. No, I mean, four years ago, yeah. who did, right? But yeah. Um, and I think there's that presentational aspect to sushi and especially what you're, what you're doing um, that is, it's not easy to achieve um, in, a, in a smaller restaurant that does a higher price menu, but it's, you know, that's normally the place where you see that kind of attention to detail. But how do you really bring that to the fast paced lunchtime environment where there's 50 people coming in and they're rushing in and out and you've got to do it quickly, otherwise they get pissed off. How do you, how do you actually achieve to that? To a
0: minute. Yeah. Two rolls a minute. Uh that's that's a standard, okay? That's and a standard you, for my sushi chefs. How did you reach that standard? Like a, I'm a very uh I'm a very demanding. Uh, you got to respect people, yeah. but you also have to expect out of them. Okay? That's that's like my I, I I respect everybody, but I expect them to come and do as much as they can, as fast as they can, and uh, as as best as they can. I have thrown a lot of uh a lot of creations I wouldn't even call them rolls away. Uh, gave him for lunch, staff, and stuff like that. I didn't throw him to the garbage, but I, I gave him away yeah. and had people wait uh, a little bit longer and made sure that it's perfect. And uh, my guys, are, they've been working with me. I don't have, I have one new guy. I have seven sushi chefs that have been working with me for more than a year at least. Uh, and I have the guy that opened the store with me uh, still with me. He's my head chef, my head sushi chef. So he knows my standards, uh, and if you don't uphold those standards all the time, every time they're gonna get uh, they're gonna get mushed, you know. And they're gonna get if you don't say what you think about the work, you know. I I have very high expectations. I'm very strict about it. It's gotta be like that every time, all the time. No matter how busy it is, no matter how crazy you are, you gotta keep your board clean. You gotta keep you know everything's gotta be. Uh, In its place, it's gotta be. uh, It's gotta be perfect. Of course, sometimes there is uh, mishaps, uh, but you have to address them. And you have to know that once you, if you wanna be in this business, it doesn't matter where it is. uh, You have to uh, cut your veins and let the blood flow. Okay, and you gotta be there all the time. And the emails that you get on, uh, oh, the this didn't come out right, or the soup did. You have to respond for them. Uh, people appreciate it I I respond to every bad email that I get but I'm very happy when I get them because it tells me okay this I have a problem here I have a problem there Uh, I I, I look forward it sounds bad but I look forward for the bad reviews and not the good ones I mean I I I love the good ones but the bad ones tells me what should I do better you know or what could be done better uh, and how to fix the problems you gotta stay, uh, you gotta stay humble about it all the time. Uh, uh, there's always a possibility you'll fail, uh, but for me, it's not an option. That's that's how I run it.
1: And with those kind of high standards, how do you approach rolling out new products on the menu? Because obviously, yeah. you know, there's a tension between having perfection and having innovation. And how do you how do you do that in a way that maintains the brand and keeps the quality high?
0: That's the boring part. Uh, it's it's I think it's interesting <laughs> to me. <but> yeah, I, <laughs> the, the boring part is because uh, because uh, I do it. Uh, I want that high standard. It's gotta be systematic, okay? So it's a system, uh, and I built a very. Uh, that's what I do. I, I I'm more. I I love cooking and everything else, but I uh, I make things happen. If I see a problem, okay, I'll, I'll fix it, and and that that's what I do better than. than uh, than anything else, and and you gotta create a system. This is how it is, you put this much, I mean, my guys know, okay, I cut it in a certain way, they know that 40% of mango go inside, 30% of cucumber, and 30% of avocado, and they know that two ounces of spicy vegetables go on each and every one of them, okay, and they know how to portion it out. My noodles are portioned exactly every time. There's six ounces, and that's how it goes inside every wrap. That wrap has to be that long, and everything's gotta be where it's supposed to go, and it's just a repetitive thing uh, it never stops you can always get better you can always get uh, a little bit more perfect than what you do uh, also we have uh, we are commissary based so if, I, if I'm not crazy enough about that then every location gets the same food so it's not, there's never uh, there's never there's never a difference between the the, the the places so it's the same kitchen that produces for all the locations uh, they assemble it. Basically,
1: and when and when you want to experiment with adding things like the dumplings and yeah. the noodles to the menu, how did you, how do you go about that process of making sure these dishes are right sure. and that they fit the brand and
0: Yeah, so I ran two menus for almost a month. I changed Fourteenth Street. I renovated. it. I closed it for uh, for three weeks. I did some events that took me three weeks, and uh, and in the meantime, I renovated Fourteenth Street, and I really took the time. To try everything and train everybody in that in 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 the store and um i ran one menu for a month and then i and the other stores were running the old menu still so i produced for two for that and for the and for that i drove my guys crazy a little bit but we tried everything and we tried our own customers and we had a survey to see what they what they say. And when we heard what they say, we went back to the drawing board and changed and changed and changed. Uh, this didn't work, that didn't work. I also, while I was doing that, I was thinking of how to make it so it's easier for the guys to do. I also try to use the ingredients in various locations in the menu so they move faster and keep it fresh. You understand? Uh, so the noodles uh, can ma- they make up the wraps and they make up also the, uh, part of the soups and they make up part of the uh, noodle salads. So in various places you have those noodles in different ways, but it will keep my 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 noodles fresh. Keep them all the time. You know everything is running, uh, and that's it. And and how do you apply that principle
1: of because you talked earlier about the perfect bite, yeah. right? And that's something I've heard that. You know, chocolate makers say the same thing. Like, yep. you know, with a lot of high-end chocolates, you're supposed yep. to put the whole thing in your mouth at yep. once. You know, yep. so you get the perfect bite. And obviously, that applies to sushi. I can see exactly yep. how that applies. Yep. But then, with a the bowl of noodles, what do you?
0: How do yeah, you approach so there, that? So there, you have a. Uh, it's trick. It's tricky. You know, uh, with the sushi, it's it's always going to be like that, and that's that's the bulk of our sales. We're 50 percent selling sushi. Uh, that's that's what we're about. I. Um, the rice paper wraps they are they're measured exactly right now I, i've changed them over the over the time so you can actually bite into the same bite every time uh the amount of sauce that goes into it, each and every uh each and every uh, uh dish it's it's work you know the dumplings are you know they're also one bite you know and they always come out the same and no matter what however i do it uh I have to make a lot of them though. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we hand make all of them so we make like you know, 1500 a day. It's like. You
1: know. I mean, this is it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh and I guess I just hadn't really thought about it how much of your stuff is really 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 handmade. You oh. know, if you compare that to you know, we see a lot of these kind of um you know, fast casual salad places. There's a lot of burrito places now. Yeah. There's a lot of places. Yeah. You know, literally downstairs in this building, there's yeah, a I whole food that. court. And I saw that. I'm gonna get
0: in there. It, well, you should, because <laughs> it's crazy busy,
1: like yeah. all the time. But you know, that stuff is somewhat handmade, but not at the level that you guys are doing yeah. it. And it it sort of begs the question. Um, you know, do you think this is scalable? to to a huge size i'm sure you do but how do you how do you do that because if you look at the traditional example which was like mcdonald's you know they automate everything and everything's frozen and literally no one in that kitchen is is skilled really whereas you're doing almost the complete opposite and with extremely fresh ingredients like how do you scale scale that up up?
0: so first yeah you gotta automate things i mean a little bit of them Uh, it's always going to be fresh vegetables but uh I used to slice every mango with a with a knife okay I used to slice it today I have a it's not an automatic machine but it's man you know manual but it, it cuts it perfectly every time and it helps us move the product a little bit faster so I can have time to do the dumplings for instance uh with time I might have to get a machine that just Clamps the dumplings, you know. So the the actual action, I'll make the filling, I'll make the dough, I'll make you know all this stuff, but the the action that that takes the longest, which is like let's say slicing, and it's not always perfect, you know. You have to automate that somehow uh, to make it perfect. And yes, it's a it's about systemizing everything. Uh, there is ways. I mean, uh, I uh, I believe that it could be easily done. Uh, uh, I do it fairly easily with, uh, with the locations that we have right now. I uh, I'm, We're in plans of taking a bigger commissary uh, in the next few months. And then, like I said, we want to roll out.
1: Uh, yeah, what's the, what's the big vision then? So wh- where so do you think Beyond is going to be yeah. in five years' time? What's your dream?
0: So first of all, we, uh, we have somebody like joined the team, a uh, big guy, uh, is helping us uh, run in the right direction. Uh, and, um, and the, big vi- the bigger vision first of all is to start here in new york city i'm never i don't know if i i shouldn't say never but i i've i get offers all the time to uh to franchise it uh, to license it uh, to uh to partner with certain people to open here open there uh, i never got tempted to do that because i know the complex uh, how complex it is for for the product itself and And it's your baby it's my baby I can I can see that very clearly it's your baby yeah and I look I at the end of the day I want to scale it up I I want it to be a bigger thing truthfully when I opened I thought I'm just gonna open this save money and open my five-star restaurant that that was that that was (laughs) that that was but now it became it became who I am you know so uh I think that uh the next the next step I mean for now is uh we're gonna open uh two types one is more like Chelsea market, but what I see is uh, a big uh, a big demand or a, a broader, uh, a scalable uh, for our brand is uh, the bigger boxes. And the next one that we do uh, is gonna be a big box, probably between 1,500 and 2,500 square feet, uh, which will have a bar and a seating. One of the biggest complaints I get is people Truth, I mean, the hardest thing is like I have people calling me all the time. I want to reserve a table. I can't, you know, right, I can't. Right. I'm sorry. I don't have anywhere to put you. Yeah. Uh, and, and if I did, I'd probably be booked for a month, you know. So I, I would like that, uh, but I need to get a location that can accommodate that amount of people. I'm learning a lot about it. Yeah. There's a big process that going when taking a bigger location than, yeah. than the smaller locations. It's a bigger investment. But uh, I think that that would do great. And we're gonna we're gonna test that out first. Uh, we have one lined up for November, actually pretty close to where you guys are at uh, in the financial district. Nice. And um, I'll look forward to that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's it's not too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we are. Uh, we're looking for another one for this year and uh, hopefully that would happen. And Can you uh, just talk
1: for a little bit for the people who haven't got experience of looking for real estate for a restaurant in New oh, York yeah. <laughs> City? Like what how does that process even go about like you know cuz you you think okay, I want to open a new place. And then yeah. what's the next thought and how do you turn that thought into a real
0: First of all, make thing. sure you want to open a new place. That's <laughs> that's that's one. Make sure cuz once you're in, you're in. I mean, at least in my case, I yeah. didn't have anybody funding it. Yeah. Uh, uh, once you're in you're in and that's your how you're gonna survive uh, but looking for real estate i've been looking now for a location for six months already and what and, and, what, and what is the, one,
1: yeah. what does a good location mean to you even in terms of area of the city because you guys you know yeah. you have near union square you have midtown you have yeah. chelsea market. it all
0: depends on on your concept yeah I mean, for us it's uh i need volume like i said so i need high traffic uh, chelsea market and uh 56 work really well for me in that terms 14th street a little bit less Uh, even though it's the first one uh, still does great but not not as good as the other ones Uh, in terms of volume uh, we look we look for volume so the safest bet is uh is the busier places like midtown because it's
1: the lunchtime crowd yeah. basically right it depends
0: yeah. on your concept again if yeah. you are opening a restaurant sit down right sure. now if we open our sit down and i can reserve places i probably won't pay the high dollars in, in midtown or financial district or uh, or uh, i don't know what chelsea or i wouldn't pay the the high dollar over there i would take something off off a little bit we also have the luxury because we're more of a destination place than, uh, and that goes to a lot of plant-based uh locations uh people come to you because they that's what they eat you know they and that's a luxury that we that we that we own and and that's great but uh but it's great to be in the in the the busy places but (laughs) prepare to pay that's what it is Uh, if you wanna if you wanna be in the high busy places you'll be amazed how much people are asking you to pay it's it's the city is crazy in terms of prices. And then if you think about your long-term goals, like
1: it's staying in New York City or eventually maybe going further afield? Personal or or, uh, the business?
0: The business. The business. Business, uh, we are planning to duplicate it, of course, uh, in other cities in the country. I think that it would do amazing in in a lot of places. Uh, It's just that, like I think we talked before, before, a, it was three location and guy and and tally my wife which is amazing and she's the most supportive person and helps me with everything and works in the company and helps me grow but now we're creating a company once you create create structure and you create a company and you and, and you have that uh, that setting uh, you can just duplicate it you just got to find the right talent and great people that's yeah. the hardest thing
1: well, what's and what's the hardest thing for you to let go of because obviously, as you grow, you need to stay, you need to oh, say... I'm not letting go of anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for instance, like you don't slice the mango control, anymore, control. you know. So, so basically,
0: it's it's control. Uh, you can call me a control freak, but uh, I wouldn't say that because I, I let people do their thing. Uh, but uh, I, you have to. If you don't, you're just going to stay. And it's okay. I mean, for some people, it's what they want. And I had that, I had that thought. Before I uh, made the decision, this decision is kind of new that we want to expand. In the beginning, we were okay with three locations and everything is great. Uh, but you got to make that decision. And when you make that decision, you have to let go. Like I have an accountant today, you know, I I let her do everything that involves money. I wouldn't let, I knew every cent that came into the business and went out of the business. Now I have to have somebody do that. Uh, I have to check them. I'm not blind but you know it's what, it's part of it. it's part of the you have to let go you have to let somebody take over marketing they're going to represent you in a way uh, that they think is great and you can direct them to where you want you know
1: and just to think a little bit broader um you know when you opened Beyond Sushi in 2012 yeah. I think the scene was was becoming bigger the plant-based scene yeah. but it was nothing like what it is today and no. what what have you observed over the last four years and what do you expect to happen over the next four years in terms of a trend of
0: plant-based eating I think that this is this is this is it this is the way that the world is going no matter how you turn it over upside down there is no other way I mean uh, oceans are dying <laughs> we're killing everything around us uh, we finally realized that by farming cows, we're also killing the planet, uh, and we also realized that it kills us. So I think that this is the way. This is where it's going, and it's only gonna grow. It's never. No, it's not. It's not gonna have a, a recession. You know, it's not. It's not gonna go backwards. So this is where it's going. It's going in that direction, and uh, you can join the boy now, or you can join it later. You know, that's what it's about. And uh, Maybe if you join later, you're going to have a lot of heart problems and stuff like that, or, and you're going to contribute to ruining where we are, you know.
1: That's it. That's pretty, um, yeah, that's pretty bold. I, I completely agree with you. I um, mean, and it's, I think, it's what it is. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, personally, one of the things, you know, obviously we're interested in is food as a way of getting people on that boat quicker yep. you know so good food good plant-based food yep. proving that you can eat very very well and you and know enjoy eat, it and enjoy it you yeah. know i oh. think
0: that the biggest problem uh, i'll tell you the truth and yeah. especially here i mean i i grew up in a in a farm i saw how things what happens what it is to uh slaughter yeah. everything yeah. I, I saw it uh, you know firsthand uh, i grew up in a kibbutz for three years of my life uh, we raised everything uh, I truly believe that some kids think that uh, the steak grows in the supermarket. You know, oh and, sure, uh, and that's yeah. and that's a big, big problem in our in our society. And well, like I was saying to you earlier, yeah. I have
1: people come into my farm, yeah, and then they don't want to eat a leaf because they're afraid of a leaf. You yeah, know? and and <laughs> well, they'll bite into a steak or right? a chicken nugget or yeah. something. You yeah, know? So, so yeah, yeah, and I think um, when you think as a chef. Um, what kind of food makes apart from Beyond Sushi? Yep. Um, what what kind of food makes you the most excited out there now? Or what kind of what chefs or what restaurants do you think are doing really interesting things uh, that inspire you and
0: and make you excited? I don't get to uh, <laughs> I don't get to uh, go out so much. Yeah, yeah it's sad. Yeah. but it's true. Uh, last restaurant I went to in the city was Nick's. Oh sure, uh, yeah, john Fraser. and yeah. they did they do great stuff. Uh, and it's it's really nice and the fact that they have nice tandooris and stuff like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is weird because they had a they had a what do you call it an indian restaurant before there and they just kept it and they
1: and just they, kept oh is kept that why they have it okay oven, and
0: yeah. they just kept it and they use it yeah i mean they had a uh, that's some nice interesting things uh, and i enjoyed that i didn't enjoy a lot of the other ones and i don't need to send names yeah, uh, yeah but uh like i said i don't like imitations i don't like when people try to make something taste like something yeah
1: so what do you want to see more of in terms of plant-based food then innovation okay
0: innovation and what does that mean for you though like because uh, that me, can mean
1: many different things What what do you think innovation
0: is for, in for me is combining uh legumes combining grains combining uh, sauces combining vegetables in various ways if you grill them char them uh, uh, roast them braise them do anything you want to them dehydrate them powder them do do all these fun things with them and make a dish don't just uh and think about it that it makes sense that there is textures there is uh, color that there is flavor and everything is there and it combines together in a balance great guy also kind of related uh, uh tal in in la crossroads yeah, amazing yeah. amazing food uh, my grandma was his uh his uh is uh like she raised them basically she was really there yeah okay yeah. so there's a connection between yes, crossroads yes, yes. in l.a and beyond yeah. sushi here not of beyond sushi but uh um, you know um, there, there you is guys. a connection it's the same yeah.
1: and it's interesting um and it just it doesn't seem like this had much effect on you personally but um obviously as someone coming from israel now that's a country that has oh, one yeah. of the highest or maybe the highest rates of veganism, veganism in yeah. the world yeah. and i mean do you have a personal perspective on why that's the case and 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 what that means for other countries if they want to follow that it's lead.
0: weird because israel israel was also the largest producer back in the day of uh, frogra right okay? <laughs> yeah so so things change things change rapidly yeah back home it's a very young country uh, everything changes all the time uh, and there's always something happening as always i think it's uh it's a big trend in Israel, and uh, and I think it's growing. But it's growing everywhere in the world. Israel is very, or people of Israel are very. Uh, they voice themselves out all over. So you hear them. You hear them, and it, 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 and it's big there, and they they're very active in the in the in the community, and that's why, you know it's like but uh, well we're a small country I mean it's a small country it's uh, only 6 million people so out of the 6 million people even if 20% are right. vegan you know <laughs> it, it doesn't make oh, 7 or 8 million by yeah. now but yeah. it does, it's not a lot uh, but it's big it's big and there is awareness uh, they're very aware they're very they follow they come they come to a restaurant I yeah. see them all the time
1: well for me it also they makes make me think it. of people like my first
0: copy in Israel your first people that copied me oh really yeah <laughs> well that's flattery right? <laughs> yeah
1: but it also <laughs> makes me think of like Ottolenghi and um are you familiar yeah. with him? Yes. Like, yeah, yes. yeah, and he's yes. obviously very popular for his a lot of his vegetable based yes. dishes and yes. that kind of stuff and and I think like London right yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. which is kind of where I'm from, so yeah. you know, um he made it big definitely, yeah, yeah, made it big, but I think you know there's there's a there's an aspect which is similar about what he's doing and that like I think people until quite recently with his work and and what you guys are doing and, and other places. There's a color in the food yep. that you just simply cannot get with a traditional food. And when you're using vegetables and when you're using these fresh ingredients and just, you know, these colors like purples and greens and I'll the tell yellows. You,
0: uh, I'll tell you my aspect on it, okay? It's very simple. Yeah. Every chef here, even here in the school, needs a vegetable or an herb to enhance his dish, okay? He needs a vegetable or an herb to make it look pretty. Yeah. To so why use the other stuff? Right. <laughs> why? I mean, the vegetables and the herbs and the, and everything that you're using is great. Why do you need that? That is brown and gray and, and doesn't look good, right? So just take it out of the plate, you know, and use everything else. Because there's nothing, there's nothing pretty in, in, a, in, a, in a charred piece of beef or a charred piece of chicken. It, it's not pretty. I mean, the other stuff is pretty and you can make it look pretty and it's colorful and it brings that flavor because we marinate it at the end of the day we marinate with the herbs and we marinate with this thing. so I, I believe that you don't even you know it's not there you don't need it it's okay I think that's a perfect place to end the interview thank yeah. you very much Guy thank you appreciate it no problem
1: Guy's pretty inspiring right? I think we're going to see Beyond Sushi expand and I'm really confident Guy has the attention to detail and high standards to keep that same high quality as he does right now. So make sure you try their food if you're in town. It's going to be something you really enjoy a lot. That's it for this episode. Make sure to sign up for the mailing list uh, to be informed when the next one is and leave us a review on iTunes. Um, But yeah, thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.